Hi, and thanks for joining Multifamily Radio. I'm your host, Patrick Franks. Today on the podcast, we have my friend, Trevor Hightower. Trevor and I have been friends for a couple years now, and he has a really interesting background. He is an Air Force Academy grad. He worked in the space program, firing satellites into space, and after that, got into commercial real estate and learned the nuts and bolts of an industry that allowed him to pivot to what he's doing today. He is now the president of a company called Craftwork that is defining hospitality as a service. In this episode, we learn a great deal about the co-working space. We learn a lot about how to build a partnership and how to find a good partner and how to work with a partner if you're an entrepreneur. And we learn a lot about coffee in this episode. So I hope you'll enjoy it. Again, this is Multifamily Radio, and my guest today is Trevor Hightower. Yeah, well, first of all, Patrick, thank you very much. Um, I've been a big fan of, of you through different uh, groups we've been fortunate to be associated with. And thank you. Uh, Doorstep has a wonderful reputation. And thanks for leading and adding value to professionals in this space. I'm uh, excited that you're, you started this podcast and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Great. Thank you. So tell me more. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to college? Uh, just sort of basic background about you. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Plano, Texas, um, and they, I'm lucky that they let short but slow linebackers play at Air Force Academy. Um, <laughs> and uh, but really, the uh, going to the academy is a good portion of my childhood. I was raised by a single mom who's one of my heroes, and she's wonderful. And by the way, my my dad is also one of my heroes. But the Air Force Academy was really great for me. Um, I needed the uh, the structure and discipline. And then in particular, there were uh, coaches and, and then guys that I was on a team with who were very uh, formational for me. Just, uh, I think, got to learn more about leadership. And that leadership is essentially about the, the mission and then the people before it, it's anything about yourself. And I could not say that I had that view of leadership until I was influenced by uh, those wonderful coaches and, and teammates. Um, so that was a great. And when I graduated, got the best job in the world as a second lieutenant, which is I was a assistant coach for our team. And then I got to teach uh, at the prep school at the Air Force Academy. Um, and then I uh, got stationed at Los Angeles Air Force Base, and I was working on the Atlas V launch vehicle. So it's a rocket that would put military satellites in the orbit. So I got used to being the dumbest guy in, in the room, which is not a hard task for me. But when you're you know, working with rocket scientists, then it's you, you know, even easier. But really enjoyed that, loved the mission. And during that time, I was able to go to grad school. And the one class that I seem to actually understand as far as uh, uh, the asset class was um, was real estate, just the tangible nature of it. And um, it seemed to click more than maybe some equities or, or fixed income. And so when I got out of the Air Force, I started to work for an industrial developer as a private REIT uh, out of Chicago that was doing big box industrial development in the Inland Empire. And I got really acquainted with an Argus model and spent uh, many hours behind uh, the computer screen uh, underwriting you know, deals that in, you know, in 2007, it, it felt like cap rates were going to go down forever. And 
rate rates are going to go up forever. And um, <clears throat> in 2008, it was evident that that is not the case. But, you know, an expression I like is luck is what happens when preparedness meets opportunity. And in my case, I think I was uh, I was cheap and I begged, you know, the CEO that I'll play any position, including sweeping the floors. And so um, we had built a lot of spec property out in Moreno Valley in Paris. And I was I got moved to a asset manager role and really kind of to lease up those buildings that we built spec and through no skill and a lot of luck and really just uh, the market turned quicker in that particular asset class than anyone thought we were able to stabilize those assets. And I learned a lot, but I, I got credit for something that you know I probably shouldn't have got credit for. But that was a really neat launching point. Um, and it led to us moving to Houston, Texas to work for a, uh, a REIT publicly traded REIT in the office space, which is Parkway Properties, mm-hmm. um, which I know has a good presence in, in Atlanta and had a wonderful experience there helping to launch their third-party leasing and management platform and then le- uh, being the managing director of leasing on their for their Houston portfolio. And then you met another hero, a mentor, John Holland, recruited me to CBRE where I was a managing director there in Houston and loved that. It was really more leadership of a, of a brokerage team in the occupier practice and absolutely loved the time at, at CBRE. But all the way through, I had a passion for just thinking, you know, what what is the meaning? What's the purpose of real estate? As big of a question that, as that is, that, that's a question that always stuck in my mind. And the answer to that for me was, you know, real estate, is where people you know live, work. Um, it's where they do all of their uh, lives activities, pretty much. And so I really honed in on kind of uh, the intersection of you know connection and community and um, and real estate. And what I was seeing at CBRE was a trend in co-working. Uh, this big shift of demand going to more flexible office space, both from a growing gig economy, but also a lot of our enterprise clients uh, saying that they would like the flexibility of uh, shorter term agreements. And then our employees will like the experience a lot more. But when I kind of looked beneath the surface and looked at the best operators, uh, it was the operators who really created a true connection and community in their operation that really stood out. And so right when we had our third uh, child and right when um, things were probably going as well as it could be going at a wonderful job, I made the really you know wise decision to say, hey, I want to become an entrepreneur. Uh, and we started a co-working space. Um, and the neat thing about that was accidentally, we were in a multifamily building. So the co-working space was uh, on the first floor of a mid-rise multifamily building where we converted what was originally intended as a tenant lounge and into a co-working space and then uh, converted the number of the first floor units into office suites. And um, we kind of had some hunches that those uh, that there'd be a synergy between the uses, um, but it really uh, proved to be the case where we had higher occupancy and higher retention in the building because of uh, the co-working operation. And so that was really exciting to see. And about the time where we were thinking about expanding it, uh, I got to meet my now partner, Riley. And 
Riley and I uh, had coffee and it was one of those meetings where we were literally finishing each other's sentences about uh, the, the why of our companies, but also um, you know, the, the strategy of seeing this big need in multifamily of uh, a lot of underutilized space in a way to really um, uh, convert that space into a, a use that uh, can not only drive income for the building, but really differentiate the building. And so um, we partnered together, raised capital, and that's where we are today with with Craftwork. Awesome. That's such a great story. So was Riley already in the coffee business or was he doing something else? I had started a company called Work Flourish. He is actually the founder of Craftwork. The Craftwork model was in traditional retail and uh, was so great uh, in that it had specialty coffee in the front door and then co-working um, adjacent. And so it's just a, a wonderful model. And so, but he also identified um, one of the things that I had seen and the opportunity of taking that type of footprint and putting it into a multifamily building. And so the uh, the unit economics on the kind of the dual income of the coffee and co-working just makes the model a lot better. And, but then even from a operational standpoint, um, the, the energy and vibrancy that especially coffee shop brings um, is, uh, was, is, is, was wonderful. And so um, we combined our efforts and ran down the field together with the thesis of going into multifamily buildings with the craft work footprint. I love it. I think one thing that a lot of people who are thinking about entrepreneurs don't think about before getting in is their partners yeah. and what that partnership looks like. And I think people who are inclined to open a business are generally type A personalities. Mm. And so what was that like? I mean, y'all had your own operations, your own cultures. Yeah. Um, what was it like bringing that together? And how does that relationship look like on the day-to-day? And we'd just love to know more about your partners because I think really having a good partnership is the basis of having a good business if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, Patrick, it's such a great question. And I love this question. It's a, it's an important one to me because I do have a really great partner and I feel, feel really fortunate that Riley is my, is my business partner and the process by which, you know, that decision was made. There was a connection on the, on the deep why of why we each started our companies. It was just kind of a, a great alignment around mission and around core values and around, um, you know, why, you know, we were both in real estate. He has a real estate background as well in, in private equity. And we were introduced by a mutual friend who saw that we were doing similar things. And so the first meeting, obviously, neither Riley or I came into that meeting thinking that um, we would, you know, be meeting our future partner. But there was a connection on, you know, probably the most important thing. And then there was what we identified uh, pretty quickly was a um, alignment of, uh, of strengths and weaknesses, meaning uh, where I am weak, uh, he is strong, and then I provide some some strengths that you know maybe he didn't have as in, in the same way. And so, and we tested that out. So, <laughs> I actually had like four meetings set with multifamily owners in Houston. I was in Houston; he was in Fort Worth at the time, and uh, I think you know I just asked him, hey, would you come, you know, present with me to these to these partners? And that was more of a, of a gut feel, but I had a sense that 
uh, I was a lot better with him than without him. And so I just asked if he would come and present with me and kind of in a very short time, we kind of integrated our two models and we still joke that those, you know, presentations that day were our best presentations we've ever given. <laughs> it's a, uh, and, uh, but we saw as we prepared for those, uh, presentations together and, um, and then presented them together that there was um, a neat alignment, uh, around, uh, strengths and weaknesses. And then the, the most important piece is I have a, uh, a strength and a weakness of thinking that everybody is awesome. Um, cause they, they really are, but you know, that type of, you know, default mentality can get you in trouble. And so, um, my wife is, you know, has the best perception of anyone that I know. And she's like, I could have told you that guy was shady six months ago. And I was like, no, he was, he was awesome. But she is, you know, 99%, not well, hundred percent accurate when it comes to these things. And so I asked Riley to spend the night, my house, the night that, uh, you know, we had those presentations and, you know, I wanted my wife to get, you know, read and we were sitting in bed that night and my wife turns to me and is like, this is who you need to partner with. And so you know, if my wife gives that type of affirmation, then it was like, okay, this is this is absolutely uh, the right call. So the short answer to your question is make sure that you're aligned on core values. Um, Riley and I were fortunate enough to go through a accelerator together uh, called Praxis. And one of the exercises that we did is essentially like premarital counseling. And <laughs> we, we answered a lot of hard questions at the front end of worst case scenarios and, you know, uh, what happens if this happens and, you know, just... Um, could not recommend that high, uh, like, treat this as serious as a relationship only second to your, your marriage, because it mm. is, it's really important. That's awesome. Can you tell me more about what is a typical engagement look like for craft work? So I've heard you talk about, and I've, I've seen you write about, um, what craft work offers is hospitality as a service. And there's a lot of things now that are blank as a service. You guys are at a pretty cool intersection of uh, real estate, work, hospitality, food service. Who's your ideal customer profile? What does that process look like? I mean, are you are you building out the space? Are you just managing it? How, how does it all work? Well, just to start, you know, the core mission of Craftwork is to draw people out of isolation and into community. And we think now more than ever, multifamily owners should aim to create you know, operational rhythms for resident connection. And owners who do this are, we believe, are going to attract and retain a disproportionately greater number of residents relative to their competitive set. And so with that as kind of, you know, what's really motivating us, um, the current lobby and first floor of many space in many apartments, they're often beautiful, they're expensive, but they are almost always dead, meaning there's not activation, uh, there's not energy. Like if you can kind of think about the best kind of hotel, boutique hotel lobby experience where it's energized and activated, there's really nothing like that in the first floor of, of multifamily. And so Craftwork partners with asset owners to reimagine the existing lobby space uh, into a gathering place and hub of community and so we convert a traditional lobby into our hospitality-focused bar. We do this without increasing any asset-level expense to the building uh, by replacing existing concierge and coffee cost of the asset. And so if it's an existing building, we'd be replacing 
concierge provider and the, the coffee cost line item, or if it's in pre-development, um, those those line items are allocated to uh, to Craftwork. But what we're able to do is provide all of the basic uh, concierge services and provide this additional layer of resident-focused services at no cost to the asset. So our bar serves quality food, coffee, alcoholic drinks, and so all that is wonderful, but the, the really key point of our operation is our hospitality-trained bar host. So like any company who is focused on customer service, our people are the most important part of our company. So how we hire, train, equip, promote is really core to, you know, at the end of the day, the engagement that residents feel with this bar host who's really... You know, sole mission in life is to delight their end user, which is the resident. So that's kind of a, an overview of the problem and the solution. For the reason I described um, that we like to come in without adding any uh, asset level expense to the, the building, we uh, typically, our sweet spot is in a high rise or mid rise multifamily asset that has uh, those existing line items. And then from the start of our you know, first conversation with the apartment owner, there's a four-month process that we go through. The initial part is really diagnosing if this is something that the owner would like. Um, and then there's a design uh, process where we uh, every lobby is a little bit different, but we like our bars to feel like they've always meant to be in the building. And so we you know, do a test fit and design and then uh, have a simple uh, LOI with our terms and um, and then we move to a lease and service agreement. Um, and so, uh, and then we're able to be up and running once we sign that within within two months. So that's kind of an overview of the, of the deal structure. There's a, a we do share 10% of our uh, revenue from F&B sales to the building. So there is um, a way for the building to generate additional income uh, but the real kind of bet that the owner is making is that um, they're differentiating their asset through having craft work um, as uh, their hospitality provider i love it that's such a great concept there's the attraction the boost in an noi but has there to be trouble with uh, i mean are you getting developers or owners who are sort of fighting over y'all for craft work locations how do you think well, about I mean, making sure <laughs> you'd love it, I right? Love, I love, I love that question. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, in just to, you know, be clear, you know, we're still very much a startup. Um, yeah. and so we are launching, you know, the first of these, this type of model in October, we have, uh, four deals that are signed. They're all in Texas. Uh, one in Houston, um, one in Fort Worth, and then two in Dallas. And so in every one of those cases, obviously one of our value propositions to the owner is that we are going to differentiate your property. So we do say that we're not going to put a, um, a crap work in, you know, a directly competing building, you know, down the road. And so mm-hmm. that's just an acknowledgement that we really do, you know, believe we'll, we'll drive value. We don't want to diminish the value with a direct uh, competitor. But, you know, we have a great opportunity, you know, to show the value that we're creating with these initial launches. And as you know, the multifamily industry is a, uh, a very small industry. And so 
we're really laser focused on uh, execution and really delivering a high quality. And then just like your business and a lot of other, we, we are, we're a service provider. So mm. we're really only as good as, um, you know, the, the experience that we're creating for residents. So we really are focused on how do we over deliver uh, that experience and, and never you know, rest on the laurels of, of a good, of a good model, but really, really deliver exceptional experience. That's great. And I'm sure that the leasing office staff is going to love this because I know some owners kind of want them to be like, um, like cruise ship directors and have, you know, all this programming and all this stuff. And so if there's someone there who's on site, who's taking it off their plate so they can focus on leasing apartments, um, that's going to be a win for them and a win for the owner. Well, that's an excellent point, Patrick, is that, we very much view ourselves as um, a partner with the property management and leasing team. And we really want to make life and their job, which is a really hard job, easier for them. And so I think the current property management structure as it, as it is, there are world-class, best-in-class operators like Graystar. And no one is going to do their job better. Crabworks' intent is not to do really any of their current job, but that we are this added layer of service that in their current model, they don't necessarily have, you know, one person who can just only be focused on creating resonant engagement and resonant positive interaction. And so, and then a practical example of how we would like to integrate with a leasing team is as the position at the front door, our team uh, can really help on the, the front end, you know, leasing process. For instance, if the leasing staff is giving other tours at that given time through being integrated with our team, we can get that person a drink of their choice and really engage and connect with that person as they're getting a drink and sitting down waiting for the leasing professional to come. It's, it's a way that we can leverage that property management team and really add to the overall experience of a prospective resident uh, in addition to kind of the ongoing experience of the existing residents. Awesome. That's great. And tell me a, a little more about the yeah. loneliness epidemic and what's Craftwork doing to fight it. Wow. Well, uh, this is really one kind of topic and an issue that we get fired up about because many things in our modern age have become more abundant, but unfortunately, human interaction is becoming more scarce. And so, as I mentioned, the core mission of Craftworks is to draw people out of isolation and into community, which has made this kind of trend particularly important to us. So, for those who don't know, there's a, there, there's a lot of data around this, but there's a Cigna study in 2018 where three in five adults reported feeling loneliness, you know, the, the impact of loneliness is akin to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And then I think, as you might imagine, you know, and very tragically, the pandemic that we are all going through, we, we see both during the pandemic and then what we would unfortunately expect after the pandemic is this problem to only increase and having serious health implications. And so uh, we do believe that the built environment has a huge role to play in creating places where connection can occur. And we also believe that, like we were saying 
before that creating resonant engagement and connection is not mutually exclusive from asset performance. And so we think that we you know, can do our part uh, through helping buildings have operations that provide places of connection. And we think that not only would that be good for society, but it'll be good for you know, the financial metrics of the, the real estate as well. And speaking of the pandemic, I know you had a wild go of it here a few months ago. There was a bit of a business model pivot. Can you just talk a little bit about that? And yeah. I will put in the plug here, a personal plug, that we are subscribers to Craftwork Coffee. We get it every week. It's awesome. And we tell people where they can go if they want a great coffee subscription. Yeah, thank you, Patrick. Yeah, well, you know, we've had a mentor through the accelerator program that we went through frame up um, the pandemic in three seasons, blizzard, winter, and um, the mini ice age. And so blizzard, you know, as you might, you know, assume is like when everything is absolutely shut down and, you know, you, you can't go out and, and then winter is, you know, when you start to come back out, but it's still, you know, a, a very different environment. And then they're kind of the, you know, lasting changes that kind of go on, you know, for at least some some period. And the blizzard portion of the season for craft work in our team was, as you might imagine, just for a lot of consumer-facing uh, retail, was very difficult. We have traditionally been a coffee and co-working um, uh, business where we have a, a larger footprint, 4,000 square feet. We have four of those existing uh, locations um, in that model. And during the initial parts of the blizzard, one is really proud of our team and how quickly we pivoted to, we do roast coffee and glad that you are a subscriber and uh, grateful that we get to ship coffee to you. We, we really focused on the e-commerce part of our business and uh, selling coffee direct online from our roasting facility. We, like a lot of consumer-facing retail, have pivoted to online ordering. And, and we did that all very quickly and it was pretty remarkable. And still, when um, stay-at-home orders came, we decided to shut down all of our locations uh, and had to have those, that really hard conversation of... Um, and just hard day of uh, furloughing, you know, wonderful teammates who who you just uh, who you love, and they've done such a great job. And so those were hard days. Um, we also had to get more lean on our management team, and and had to make layoffs there. So just uh, those are kind of the days you never forget. And then kind of coming out of it, I should say, during that period, we really kind of had a gut feeling that our existing model is going to really struggle in winter and, and probably struggle in the mini ice age. And so we were already thinking about a more agile model where we could go into existing assets with just our hospitality bar and really not change anything too dramatically to the, the asset and open up opportunities for us to go not only in, in pre-development, but in existing assets. And so really in a very short period, created the hospitality uh, bar model that I described. And the gift of the blizzard was that all of our team's focus was on building this product. And we're lucky to have good relationships with uh, wonderful partner owners like Camden 
and Trammell Crow Residential, who were really side by side, helping us build the product and giving us a lot of key uh, insight into you know, the existing concierge services and what they would really want in, a, in an ideal world. And so built the product over Blizzard. And then in, when winter came, we weren't sure if how the owner group would respond to such a, a new concept. Um, but we knew that we had to create something that would be a uh, not just a, a nice to have, but a, a need to have. And so really focused on you know, the minimal viable product that would really move the needle for owners and really differentiate their, their property, but do it in a way that's the least risky to the owner. And I think as you, as you know, and your audience knows, uh, there's been a lot of, you know, product built in this last cycle and particularly in, in mid rise and high rise, a lot of product that is delivering and, or has been delivered. And so it seems like there was a felt need from the owner community of we need to think about how we differentiate our, our properties. And, and so thankfully we've had really good adoption of the model um, with, as I mentioned, four deals that are signed delivering, you know, fairly soon. And then a number of others that have really strong interest. And so the, the lesson learned is just, um, you know, uh, a pivot by definition is you're keeping one foot in place and you're, you're moving the other and we, we moved the foot that we moved pretty far from our original model, but what the foot that we kept in place are really all the core elements of what has made Craftwork successful to date, which is really a focus on our team, focus on how our team delights our end user and really being uh, driven by, uh, by our mission. And it just so happens that this new model is, uh, it's a lot more scalable. It actually has, it's less risky uh, for the owner and less capital intensive. And then it, it, it enables us to go into a lot more buildings than uh, we were able to go into before. So it was, it was uh, not easy, but uh, uh, we're thankful for the outcome. That's great. So overall, where do you think the multifamily industry is going? I know it's sort of hard to get crystal ball out, particularly with everything that's happened over the past couple months, but what do you think? Where's it going? How's it going to be different? Yeah, well, you know, I love this question. I'm a bit of a futurist, and um, or at least a you know a aspiring futurist. But I I do think about where the puck is going and the impact of uh, the pandemic on the industry. And I I think that you know COVID nineteen has just accelerated a lot of the trends that were already in play. Um, and so I think a, a, some high level topics in my mind would be experience actually trumps location. And what I mean by that is location will always be important in real estate. Um, and there's no question about that. But the end user experience is going to increasingly be the driver of the value of the real estate in multifamily, much in the same way that the end user experience has driven the value in hospitality meaning operators and brands become a lot more important uh, in the future because it's going to be, there's a, a larger radius that uh, residents are going to choose from uh, and they're going to want the place where they have the best uh, experience and, and who are the, the buildings and the operators that can really deliver that experience. And so that would be kind of the, my, my first hunch. Um, the second one would be that the home becomes more important and so we're already seeing this, of course. We've all spent a lot more time at, at home over these past five months. 
but there will be even going into the next few years and, and maybe beyond, you know, there will be just a, a net overall increase of remote working. We're already starting to see large companies making that decision. And so what that means is that by and large, there's going to be more people who are at least a few days a week, maybe all days a week, working from home remotely. So what that means for multifamily is the amenity space in the multifamily actually actually becomes or has the potential to become a lot more valuable. A lot of times, it, currently, that amenity space is not very well utilized by residents. But if that amenity space was curated and really brought to life through a kind of a, a hospitality-like operation, then you, you would really... Dip, further differentiate your your asset because um, that's what residents are, are going to increasingly want. And so those are kind of uh, two trend lines that I think were already taking place, but I see have been accelerated and will pretty dramatically shape the future of, of the apartment industry. Those are two really thoughtful insights. To wrap things up, what is the kindest thing that anyone has ever done for you? I love this question. Well, you know, I'm I'm an encourager, and and so it just kind of I I do see the best in others, and I and I uh, tend to want to share that with them. But I'm I think I'm in part that way because I've been encouraged, and I think words are really powerful. Um, never underestimate the, the the value and the the weight of the words that you speak to others. And I had a coach in college who took me aside and just could tell that uh, I was uh, really hard on myself and really you know, putting all of my value in my performance. And he just said a few simple words to me that really changed my life. And he, he just said that, you know, he, he commented on, you know, my kind of inherent value and, and also some attributes that I wasn't thinking about, I was thinking about my, my football performance and he was calling out what he saw in me from a character standpoint and a leadership standpoint. So you know, my coach, uh, his name is, I'm going to tear up, but his name is Coach Bell. And uh, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a wonderfully kind thing that Coach Bell did for me and it and, uh, makes, me, makes me want to pass that on to others. That's great. I love it. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on the show. If someone wants to either partner with you or order some of your coffee, how do they find you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, Craftworkgroup.com is our website. On that website, you can go to our coffee section and order coffee. You can see you know, our existing you know, locations, or you can click on the hospitality tab and it'll uh, give an overview of um, our hospitality services and um, a form to get in contact with us. But uh, yeah, I would love to meet anyone who hears this and uh, would like to learn more or if they just want any way I can help them would be a pleasure to do so. So don't don't hesitate to, to reach out. Awesome, Trevor. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you would please go on to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple or Spotify or Stitcher, like us, 
subscribe to us. Hopefully get your friends and family to listen in. Again, this has been Multifamily Radio and hope that this has been a great opportunity for you to learn more about an interesting person and an interesting space in the multifamily world. Until next time, I'm your host, Patrick Franks. 